0: they're coming to get you barbara
1: stop it you're ignorant
0: they're coming for you barbara
1: stop it you're acting like a child look, they're coming for you look there comes one of them now welcome to feed versus the living dead the podcast where your host feed the terrible aussie Jermaine, explores the remakes re-edits reimaginings, homages, and unofficial follow-ups to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Night of the Living Dead. This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes morgues and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims this podcast contains coarse language mature discussions and plot spoilers listener discretion is advised g'day everyone this is B Jermaine, aka the terrible aussie and welcome to this special bonus episode Of Beat versus the Living Dead, the podcast where I dissect every remake, re-edit, reimagining, homage, spoof, unofficial follow-up, and so much more to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film *Night of the Living Dead* across all media. Well, here we are, everyone. We're now at the tail end of our month-long celebration of the 55th anniversary of *Night of the Living Dead*, and once again, I want to thank everyone for tuning into all these special episodes that I've been dropping. For the show over the past couple of weeks, uh, I'm glad you've all enjoyed them, particularly with all the bonus episodes in which I have been interviewing the independent filmmakers behind many of the indie Nine Living Dead reimaginings that I've covered for the show. It has really meant a lot to me that all of you have been tuning in for those and listening to these filmmakers talk about the reasons why they decided to do their own versions of the story And now we're at the fourth special filmmaker-centric bonus episode of the show. And I'm very excited for this one. For this bonus episode of the show, I sat down and talked to Roger Connors, the writer, director, and star of the 2020 indie remake of Night of the Living Dead, which, instead of going by that title instead went by the title of Rebirth. Now, I covered this film all the way back on episode 14. So if you want to hear mine and my guest's thoughts on that film, definitely tune into that episode and give it a, and give it a listen. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Roger Cotters. Enjoy. G'day everyone, this is B. Jamai, and I am joined by a very special guest who is a podcaster and the host of the podcast Dark Knight of the Podcast but he is also a filmmaker and particularly for this interview he is the writer and director of a version of Night of the Living Dead which I have covered on this show which of course is the 2020 film Rebirth and that of course is Roger Cotters. Hello Roger and welcome to Bead vs. the Living Dead.
0: I'm so excited to be on your show. Like, I genuinely have listened to it. I listened to it before you covered my episode. Though, like, in the back of my mind, I was like, I hope he covered my uh, my movie, you know? <laughs> like, I was really hoping you would. But I really appreciate you having me on because, yeah, I genuinely listen to your show. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Romero in general, but obviously Night of Living Dead enough to make a, a, a retelling of it. So um, I'm really excited to be on here. Thank you for having me.
1: I can only imagine being a listener to my show having directed a, a film on night of the living dead and kind of anxiously waiting is like i wonder if bait's going to cover my movie for the show and what is he going to think of my movie <laughs> oh, i was like i was shitting myself
0: cuz like like people are not holding back <laughs> on my movie i've had so much like hate and and honestly like homophobia um, mm. towards my rendition of the film for an array of reasons but like let's be real like the thing that I think every every retelling of Night Living Dead is trying to do it something in its own way and mine was definitely the take on the social commentary which is what mm. Romero was known for um, and but there are some people who I guess just forget that they forget that Romero always had a very like specific intention behind what he was you know writing the story he was telling um, and so I was trying to update that for you know 2020 and beyond and it just did not resonate with some people but it resonated with you I was happy that you you got what we were going for that was really refreshing to hear that
1: well thank you for that well I definitely got for sure like from the very beginning what you were trying to say with your film but before we actually get to discussing Rebirth Roger I have a very important question I need to ask you and it's a question that I always ask every new guest who comes on this show and I think it's one of the it's a good start off point to go into rebirth and that of course is Roger do you remember the first time you saw the original 1968 version of Night of the Living Dead
0: It's one of the clearest memories I have as as a horror movie fan and as just as someone who consumes cinema in general it truly is one of the earliest memories I have of film period um my I grew up living with my grandparents my grandfather had a chest like an old wooden chest of VHS tapes In there was Night of the Living Dead. I was terrified of the box art. It was the black and white box art of the zombies like shambling with like in red letters, it said like Night of the Living Dead. It was just like a very like bleak cover art in general. And as like a child, I was just terrified of it. And at the age of seven, I convinced my grandfather to let me watch it. And I was so traumatized by the viewing of it. I didn't make it all the way through the movie. I made it to Helen getting killed. And then I turned off the movie and for five years, I, like, had to seek therapy. Uh, well, my, my parents seek therapy for me. <laughs> but, you know, I had to speak to a counselor. <laughs> I was talking to priests. I was drawing visuals of people being torn apart by zombies. I became obsessed with it at a very young age. And it absolutely defined my love for the horror genre. But before it became a love, it was a terror. It was, I was tr- traumatized by the movie. And finally, at the age of 12, I I got the cojones to um, sit down and finish the movie. And after I got all the way through it, it completely like changed my perspective of the film and I became obsessed with it. And to this day, I am, I am a collector of all things. Night of the Living Dead. I know the the film and the story behind the making of it, like the back of my hand. And, and so it is something that I'm very, very, very passionate about.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess like learning about how you first discovered the film, I'm just sort of taken back to when i was a kid cuz as a kid i was terrified of horror films i would never watch them even going into the video store and sit, going walking past the horror section i'd be terrified of all the covers like i can remember vividly like night of, night of the demons 2 and brain dead like the covers for those would freak me out but at the same time though i was still fascinated by them particularly ones like bram stoker's dracula or predator 2 or aliens and and all that. And then once I actually got into horror as a teenager, I got over those fears and fully embraced it. So in a lot of ways, your story is kind of similar to how my coming to the horror genre is. However, though, I didn't watch, like I said before, like I didn't watch Night of the Living Dead until sometime in my mid-teens. And even then, I think it was like the third zombie film I had seen up to that point. But it's really cool to kind of hear that it, kind of a similar experience to you. And it was a movie that put put, <laughs> put you in therapy at some point as well.
0: It literally was the first horror film I ever saw. like, And and mm. I think it holds a very special place for me. Just like you know, the first movie I remember seeing in general, The Wizard of Oz, I, I mm. have a love and adoration for that film too. Two completely different movies, but they very much, again, define my uh, fascination, with just the world of cinema in general, which I've carried with me my whole life.
1: And I guess my, well, going straight into your film Rebirth, which of course is your take on Night of the Living Dead, I guess my first question is, where did the idea of wanting to do your own take on the story come from?
0: Uh, you know, I, I've been working in independent films since the age of 18 and, uh, I, I, I enjoyed acting in it. I had had several projects that like luckily saw the light of day and were released and were, you know, starting to create for me a network that I was working in. But I, um, I always, a lot of these productions, I ended up working behind the scenes and I realized kind of where some of my strengths fell as a, as a potential fledgling filmmaker, you know, and I really wanted to kind of pursue that. So Re- Rebirth, which was originally entitled Night of Living Dead Rebirth, initially, like it was really just like me kind of challenging myself and wanting to kind of find a a way to develop a learning curve. So Mm. I could have an experience to kind of nurture my skills, figure out what I'm doing. It really was my first attempt doing anything full length ever as a director. Everything else had always been AD work. Um, And so when I did it, like I really was anticipating it would be something I would finish and throw up on YouTube and like only certain people would get it. Um, I didn't, I didn't anticipate making it such a major aspect of my life for literally six or seven years, because it took seven years to film the movie. Like, you hear a lot of people comment on him calling me kid, but, like, when we filmed certain scenes in the film, I was 26, like, 25, 26, playing 21. Adam was supposed to be 21 in the film. By the end of the movie, I look like I'm 34. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but I I mean I was in my 20s playing a 21 year old, which I thought was pretty, pretty reasonable. But um it took a very long time because it was our first, the whole team's first experience working together on a feature. Um and I was like, what story do I know better than than Night of the Living Dead? And and I was aware of the copyright situation. I actually got in touch with image 10. They said that nope. they were fine with me doing it as long as I didn't use the, the words night, living, and dead. <laughs> In the, in the title and so i think i'm the only filmmaker out there who's respected that um mm. and not saying that other pe- filmmakers are not respecting that i'm just i think that was asked of me and i honored that and i omitted night of the living dead from my title specifically because of that um and so i've never like benefited off like you know you go up you search night of the living dead all these other titles come up my film Nobody, like, I don't think anybody really can find it unless they're specifically searching Rebirth, you know, Uh, which is kind of a blow, but it is what it is. You know, I wanted to be respectful of the original filmmakers. I understand their situation. And I didn't anticipate this thing to honestly see the light of day or get finished, get, get, get completed, but I am happy it did.
1: Well, that was one of the things, like, when my episode on your film dropped and you did leave some really great comments on some of the stuff we talked about in the episode, but I was actually legit shocked that it took many years for on and off shooting the film because it it all seemed very seamless throughout all of it. Like I would not, I thought it would easily be a film that it was shot pretty close together, but I didn't realize that it took that many years to, to shoot. Because like I said, All the scenes looked seamless, like nothing looked out of place in terms of like, oh, yeah, this was shot over a period of a couple of years.
0: I really appreciate you saying that. I mean, I have a really wonderful team that was working behind me, Noel Bai, who was my cinematographer. And then I had Michael Coons and Malachi Polte, who are my editing team. Um, And honestly, one of the biggest issues we had, and again, we were green. This was our first time doing a feature. Um, At one point, we had an hour of the film edited and we had... Ninety percent of the film filmed and or film shot, and we had we had everything on one hard drive. You know, the lesson to be learned: we had a massive hard drive failure. We lost about fifty percent of the movie. We had to oh jays a massive amount of the movie, and then and, and a lot of what you see in the film is actually reshoots. Like Harry giving his speech, that whole moment of Harry giving his speech uh, as like the zombies are breaking in and everything is all actually green screen. Like he's green screened into that scene and into that location. Like he's actually like, that's digital. I think they did a very good job of doing it, but all of that's reshoots. Um, one of the things you guys talked about was Harry, like the fact that like the way he goes out, it um, seems a little uh, like unceremonious. There's a whole thing mm. of him getting shot, his back getting blown out him falling down the steps and yep. everything. Uh, and Karen eating him. You see some of it in the moment where, where Helen comes downstairs and finds him, but there's a lot of stuff we lost. Um, ben reacting to the truck explosion, mm-hmm. lost all of that. Uh, we had to really add a lot of digital elements to the truck explosion. But you know, again, we we're green. Like we we're in our twenties. We had worked on other sets before, but we had never done this for ourselves. And and I had an, an extreme passion for the project, and I absolutely adored the movie. But I'm I'm thankful for the learning curve now as I pursue other major endeavors because I'll never make those mistakes ever again. But yeah, it was a nightmare finishing this film was an absolute nightmare but we did it (laughs) so i'm proud of that
1: (laughs) for sure well now knowing that um harry's speech in that scene was a green screen like again i would not have noticed that until you've pointed out because i just assumed oh it's on set because like sometimes you can notice green screen when it's very obvious but in that case though i was now i'm actually kind of my mind's kind of blown that it was a green screen that scene
0: Go back and rewatch that moment with his speech because you'll notice how we're flicking the lights. And when you flicker the lights, I think you can maybe catch it if you look really closely. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that was all years later. We went back and got all of that uh, up until the moment he gets shot. The moment he gets shot is the original. Is some of the original footage. But yeah, it was a huge, huge learning curve. I think a lot of uh, aspiring filmmakers bite off more than they can chew with projects. And I think that at the end of the day, if you, if you learn how to roll with the punches, it can be one of the, the best things for you because, again, you, you learn to never make that mistake twice. Uh, it was a really tough pill to swallow, but I learned a lot of lessons on that film set and in that in that editing room, too, like that I carry with me to this day.
1: And I guess uh, what makes your film kind of stand out compared to all the other variations of Night of the Living Dead I've covered for this show so far is, of course, the obvious one being the title change to Rebirth instead of Night of the Living Dead. But also your version, though, kind of tackles two different things. First up, your film uh, gender swaps the character of Barbara to the character of Adam, which you play in the film. But also through to make your film more, I guess, in current with today's events, You besides tackling uh, racism and misogyny within the story, but you also tackle about uh, homophobia as well. Was that something that you wanted to do from the very beginning to kind of make your version stand out compared to others?
0: Yeah. You know, I knew if I was going to do it, I knew that I had to have some reason for doing it. You know, Hmm. Um, I know that I think there's a lot of filmmakers out there who capitalize on retelling Night of Living Dead, but don't really know anything about the story. And again, Hmm. like touching back on Romero, like he was, a master of uh, infusing social commentary into every film that he created. I mean, look at Dawn of the Dead and how it's really analyzing like consumerism, taking over society at that time in the seventies, you know, and uh, every film he he made was telling a story within the story, you know, yep. um, reflecting the current times. And so for me, I just felt like it felt timely. And it's funny because like we started doing it in 2014, like we started working on Rebirth and I actually feel like I'm thankful overall I'm thankful it took more time because what came out when it did I think even was more so like with everything with the Trump administration and so forth um it was even more of a boiling point issue homophobia and and just really just how shitty people can be excuse my language um but I mean you look at some of the reviews and you look at how they people get really mad how Adam is so gay and the thing is I knew in like, and I'm a, a fairly effeminate gay man, but I'm a gay man. And people are like, mm. he must be really homophobic playing the character that way. And no, you know what I've seen as a gay man? I've seen internalized homophobia within the LGBTQ community. I see the idea that effeminate men are lesser than mm. masculine men. And I really was wanting to kind of do a greater analysis on how we respond to feminine males and how we really, I think, are kind of harsh on them you know and i think i think it's something that's just embedded in our mentality as as a species that there's certain things that define a man there's certain things that define a woman and if you're a man and you act certain ways it's unacceptable and mm. and it, i just thought that you know i thought the character was kind of right for that because barbara i've always felt was completely hated on for really unfair reasons barbara's mm. reactions in the original night of the living dead people always say she's such an awful character barbara's reactions to what she is going through over the course of that movie are completely human There, mm. not everybody is going to be a patricia tallman grabbing a damn shotgun in a wife beater and blasting zombies heads off that is not how the average mindset works in in moments of trauma you know and mm. and i think to have a character who is completely falling apart at the seams you may not like that you may not be a fan of them people may not be a fan of my performance but to say that the character is unrealistic i think is so unfair because everyone responds to trauma differently and i wanted adam to be a character that doesn't respond well in the heat of the moment but also looking at that adam has the second largest hot head count in the movie adam Mm. in multiple moments when he's being attacked defends himself and successfully does so and i think people get so caught up in the femininity factor of the character because of internalized issues that people have with feminine men that they don't really give him the credit that he truly i think deserves which is when it comes down to it when it's fight or flight he does both and if he has a fight he does fight and he does so multiple times over the course of that movie
1: yeah i can definitely agree with that as well and i definitely picked that up during the course of the film and also in your performance too but i also agree with you like having when I first saw the original film, like many people, like I was annoyed with Barbara in that version. But the more I've seen that film, the more I definitely completely understand that take, because I always tell people all the time, like, how she behaves in that film is very realistic to what would happen if somebody was in a traumatic uh, state like that. And I would even say that Judith O'Day's performance, in a lot of ways, kind of reminds me of, Shelley Duvall's performance in The Shining. Again, another performance everyone hated, but now people kind of have come around to because, yes, she's scared all the time, but it's that's the point of the character and what she's going through. So you can understand that. But I guess it comes down to, you know, whether the character is proactive or if they scream or cry a lot. I guess some audiences prefer characters to be like that. But I like the fact that, at least with your take on Adam, like, yes, those elements are still there. But like you say, if there is a moment where Adam has to defend himself, he will definitely do it. Because, I mean, it is human nature at the end of the day to want to defend yourself. If you feel like your life is being threatened, then you definitely show that in your performance in the film.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, like, I, I, there was so much more to the character of Adam. And we still have some of the scenes like the DVD is available or um, blu rays available, and there is about an hour of cut footage from the movie. But there is a whole sequence of me recreating Judith's, Judith O'Day's, we were driving through the cemetery, Johnny and me, Johnny. Like, I did the whole monologue, and we watched it, and we're like, you know, Adam's journey, while it's going, he's going through a similar j- journey as Barbara. It doesn't have to be the exact same thing, and so he really retreats. Mentally, he retreats. He goes into a childlike state. He doesn't know how to mm-hmm. process things helen responds to that she's a mother so she naturally wants to tend to him because he is in a place where he is not coping well and so for me i thought the character dynamics just made sense for the story i was trying to tell um i think there are some fans who see it and and again they respond to the femininity aspect they were like oh that's not how a man would act you know i know some gay men who would so i'm just basing (laughs) it off of what i know Um, but people don't have to like it I completely understand that but um, I did have specific intention with structuring that character the way that I did
1: well I think it's one of the like with Adam but also the other characters in the story is again your take on like I really do enjoy Adam's relationship with Ben I thought that was definitely a very strong aspect of the story but I got to admit like the two characters who I found the most compelling were of course a Harry and Helen and their relationship. Of course, in this version of the story, Harry is portrayed as this sort of um, extremist, kind of fundamentalist reverend who thinks he's right about everything and pretty much gets against everything like a, a good Christian person, person is supposed to be. But then you have Helen, his wife, who is represents all those aspects. But also their dynamic together was so compelling. But And particularly with Helen, because I think out of all the versions of Helen, that I've seen. Helen is kind of portrayed it as a specific way, but you brought a lot to that character in this version that really made me empathize with her a lot, especially a couple of moments where, like during the scene where she's watching the news footage about when people get bitten, they turn into zombies. She knows that's gonna to happen to Karen. And you just feel so much for her in the in that scene. So I guess my next question is there Harry and Helen's dynamic in the film. How did you approach that with in the story
0: when i was restructuring the story and wanting to bring some like fresh um elements to it um when i was first starting to write the draft westboro baptist church was i think at their loudest on social media um and i really was taking a lot of like that their vitriol and, and injecting into his character. And I didn't want to go too deep into the Christianity roots because I grew up Catholic. I grew up like mm. tormented Catholic. I had a lot of personal feelings. I was venting into the script, but I was just really wanting to like kind of expose, I think how people just use religion um, mm. for their own personal dilemmas that they're struggling with because harry is is uh, you know his religious bigotry hate aside he's just he's not a good person he's an abusive yep. partner he is he is sexist he is filled with self-doubt even though he likes to talk uh, a big game his he's personally kind of crumbling over the course of all of this especially up against um a, a more powerful outspoken male figure in that of ben Um, So I really wanted to like kind of give something to kind of channel all of that into. And there is that one moment between him and I, where he kind of has his reference towards watching the preachers on TV and can really tap Mm -hmm. into that. But I didn't want it to be something that took away from the overall retelling of the story At at its core. This is night of the living dead. We're retelling it with different character dynamics. So I knew I needed a really strong actor for him. And I knew that with, with Helen, I, I, you know, in replacing Barbara, as one of the few strong female characters in that film. And Judy, like, let's be real, Judy's character is not even in the original script. Like any script you find in Night Living Dead, Judy was written in for Judith Wrigley because they wanted to use her because she was their secretary. So the original script, Tom is the caretaker at the cemetery. He was supposed to be a totally different character and they injected that character, but Judy does not bring a whole lot. (laughs) to the table, <laughs> like when it comes to like, all the characters in Night Live Dead, like Judy is kind of at times an afterthought, you know? Mm. Um, and so it, it, overall, I knew that I needed to have a really strong performance uh, and just relatability factor for, for Helen and I needed to capitalize on her positive traits because mm. there's not a huge female presence in my retelling of the story. So I've known Rachel Anderson for years. We grew up doing theater together um and she and i had done one other film together that didn't get completed we were both acting in it and we're just really feeling salty about it and i knew what what an amazing actor she was i was like listen you're like rachel I just think like you're going to bring something to this character that this character needs and a physicality as well. You know, like Rachel's a very physical actress, the whole moment when she breaks her leg and everything, like she just brings like this ferocious energy to anything that she does. And she dove in head first and the age difference between the two of them was really intentional. Cause when you think of a lot of those, like, kind of like more evangelical Christian couples you always have like this older kind of almost like patriarch of the family with a young wife who's bearing his offspring yeah. I really like that was all very thought out and intentional and I knew they were going to be good because I had seen them work before but I, I definitely think that they that they are one of the single strongest elements of the film and one of the reasons that my film does get any praise or positive response is that they are always the top of the list because that performance I think does exceed expectations when you go into an independent film made for eight thousand dollars.
1: Oh, definitely. For sure. And I also, one of the things I like about most about your film is like, yeah, sometimes you'll stick pretty close to the structure of the original film, but you do bring elements or swerves within the story that kind of make it its own. Like when your character of Adam goes to the farmhouse for the first time and sees that woman attacked, and then you run away at, first of thought, okay, so in this version... The farmhouse is not even going to be a part of it. Oh, of course, eventually it does come back into the story, but I like that at least it's as my um, one of my guests on the episode that we did your film on, uh, Tim said. It's like for at least half of it, it's almost like an open world type of story. So we're not just at the farmhouse the entire time.
0: I'm a, I'm really happy that you appreciate that because I think like one of again one of my things with retelling the story is. In, you know, my mind when I was writing this script is like you can't tell the exact same story and, and expect people to appreciate it because there's no way that if I'm just trying to stick to all of the key beats of Romero's rendition of, Night of the living dead there's no way i'm going to be anything but pale in, in comparison to what mm. he created like he created a landmark film that has forever defined a, a subgenre of horror like i i have no business even trying to make something that i think could ever be even remotely as good as what he created what i can do is at least try to you know uh, my own, paint my own colors into it and tell a story with like a different approach, you know? And so I knew that I had to do a few things differently. Um, I took a lot of inspiration from like 70s, like giallo color palettes, um a lot of like Argento inspiration, like that whole scene in the stairwell that you're talking about with all like the red yep. walls and everything. Like I knew I really wanted to pop certain colors. And so I just didn't want it to feel like you're watching Night of the Living Dead, but moments you you feel the tone and the vibe of it. And I think that there's certain shots in the movie that are like very much a homage to certain things that you see in the original film. Like key moment, like when I'm, I enter the farmhouse and I run into the room and I like grab the chair and I'm holding the knife. Like so many of those were framed exactly the same as, as Judith O'Day, you know, walking around the house. But then after that, we kind of, yeah, we, we freeballed it. And then we, we went out and we, we, we free world it. And Um, I think that's one of the the saving graces of the film overall, too, because I do think it's like a breath of fresh air when you get into that gas station for a bit and you get to see some other areas around the farmhouse. You start to lose a bit of the predictability factor a bit like because Mm. it does start to stray into its own territory. I mean, at its core, most of the deaths stay pretty true to the original film, but there are a few things that I wanted to throw people off a little bit. Um, And so I hope that by shaking it up just enough that people were still kind of on their toes while they were watching the film.
1: Oh, definitely, for sure. And also, like, you, like, again, it it kind of, now, I kind of really now need to read the original script for Night of Living Dead, now knowing that the character Judy wasn't in the original script, but then just added Mm -hmm. during production. That doesn't surprise me, because I covered, like, a radio version of Night of Living Dead, and basically that character is nowhere in that version at all. So, like, she's a character that can be easily taken out, She's in the old version as well, but you've also added a character called George, who I believe from what I remember you were saying to me online was actually in the original script, but take it out of the original film.
0: Tom was originally on his own Mm -hmm. and he was originally written to be the caretaker of the cemetery who had already fled to the farmhouse and was with the group. So he was a solo. I, I mean, like, I, he was obviously was with Harry and his family, but Tom was written to be like an older character who was in no way what, what Keith brought to the role. You know, It was yep. they completely changed the whole thing when they had Judith Ridley come into the production. So, um, which I appreciate too. I think it added a, a, kind of a breath of fresh air, having the young couple be the first to go. I love that, you know. Um, but uh, I, I'm very aware of like the original material, the original script. The original script, Barbara survives. They didn't change that until in the midst of production. Barbara in the original script goes into the basement with Ben. Ben gets shot. The police come downstairs, they find her hiding downstairs, and Barbara was supposed to survive. It wasn't until they were deep into production that they decided to kill Barbara off. And I think that's honestly, in my opinion, the most traumatizing element of the film. The whole Mm. movie, she's pining for her brother. And then I think that was such a smart decision, as heartbreaking as it is to see her go out that way. Um, It's not like anything else from that era. Nothing else is that bleak when you think of horror movies from that era. I really think that was pretty ballsy of them. Um, so yeah the original the working script is 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 pretty dead on but there's several key moments that are rather different um and it's definitely worth getting your hands on it if you can find it there's um there's an old collector's book like one of the like i think it was like the 20th edition 25th edition making of night of the living dead and there's all kinds of things that come with it and there is a a draft of the script in there there's a lot of key beats that are very different than that
1: yeah i'll definitely have to search for that definitely um and I guess one of the another thing what I also love about your film is you know you do ha- again, do your own variation of certain things, but I love how you sort of how you tackled the they the coming to get you, Barbara line in this version of the film because uh, my guests on that episode, Marcy Tim, and I, we really enjoyed that moment because we thought it was a really funny little take on that classic line.
0: Yeah, I'm happy that moment worked because if you listen, a lot of that that scene is actually dubbed. We're all dubbed. We lost the audio for that scene. That's not Johnny's the actor. That's not his actual voice. That's a different actor providing. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, but like we were like, we were really going to cut it down. And that scene was initially much, much bigger. We had a whole fight beforehand. You really saw like the motivations of why Johnny and Adam were not getting along. And we really simplified it for an array of reasons. Because again, with the digital issues that we had, we had to kind of cut down certain moments and also... The eyes glowing was partially to help cover up certain issues as well that was mm. not initially one of the ideas that we had but i'm i'm personally happy we did it which I'll expand on um but yeah no um i knew i had to have that line in like i mean it's such a defining aspect of what the film is and the opening is so true to night of the living dead the car driving you know through all this like rural hills of this you know middle of freaking nowhere um so I was like I can't not incorporate this in some way so I like stomped in those boots I was like stomping through all the cemetery like looking at all the gravestones until I found one that said Barbara and I was like found it (laughs) It's like we're doing the line (laughs) but it was it was actually pretty it was pretty impromptu we weren't sure if we're going to be able to make it work and I'm happy we did because I think it makes make sure that people know like what they're about to get into
1: well I guess also another thing because you said you there were a lot of things within your take that were cut out or things that weren't at ad- you couldn't add in was, was there any aspects from say when you first were developing the script that didn't actually make it into the film?
0: Yeah, um we have Ben's entire monologue about Beekman's Diners and is actually available on the DVD Blu-ray like the whole monologue. It's like five minutes long um as well as like I said, Adams full monologue about Johnny. Watch, witnessing Johnny's death and seeing Adam really break down if there's one scene i could put back in the movie it'd be that cuz i do think the transition from adam like being somewhat <laughs> somewhat like with it to completely like catatonic it's like it's a pretty quick switch um but um God, there's so many little things that uh, that got shifted or moved or just had to get omitted Um, like tons of news footage. Like I really had the social media element as be a lot more prominent. Here's a big thing. There was one scene that they were watching the news where they actually saw someone live streaming a a zombie attack and we rented out a haunted house for it where they had like a car accident set. And it was one of the most elaborate scenes we did in the movie. And you can see flickers of it. If you're watching like the news footage, you see moments of like zombies atop a car, but there's this big car wreck sequence, like zombies that cause a car wreck and the people in the car start coming to life and attacking the camera people. Um, and it's a great scene and a few of my really good friends are in it including my friend Caitlin Newbury who's gone off to do quite a lot of projects she's really for the sake of cloud alone I should have kept her in the film but um, (laughs) we ended ended up removing it just because of the pacing Judy had a whole side story that her phone was the only thing that was still picking up signal and so she was still able to get live streaming coming in of people getting attacked and there's this whole thing of her watching footage during the, the the guys running for the truck and getting the truck. But it really kind of bogged that down. And the film finally starts to hit a pace at that point where it starts moving along. And you start to know, like, oh, shit's going to hit the fan. And we just didn't want to lose that building tension. Um, but we did lose, like, some really cool footage of, like I said, Judy just kind of delving into what was going on in the outside world through social media, which mm. I, I do wish I would have kept into the film because... There's some really cool scenes. They're all on the Blu-ray DVD. There's a lot on the Blu-ray.
1: Uh, I, all I have to say right now, Roger, is do the cutters cut. There you go. <laughs> I've talked
0: about it. I have. It would be like a two-hour long movie. But, like, I think a lot of the qualms that people have with the film and with Adam, I think, would be really, really solved quite a bit. Um, mm. Because, I mean, if anything got cut, I, and I think a lot of it's because this is my first time directing. I had AD, but directing And casting myself in this role, like shame on me, that's the most selfish thing I could have done. Um, And of course, any green directors can go into into a project and think that they can do anything and they can take on the challenge and be fine. But it was the most intimidating thing I had done up to that point. And there were times that I was spreading myself really thin. Um, And so I do think that the character of Adam overall got the least attention at certain points though I do feel like some of the scenes we chose to omit for Adam would have been very defining for the character and given him a Mm. lot more motivation for why he does certain things he does and acts certain way he acts.
1: Well, I was going to even say, like, because not only being the writer and director of the film, but also starring as Adam, like, what were the difficulties of that, of not only just being directing yourself in the film, because I've done film projects myself, directed a few short films, and the last one I worked on two years ago was was during a lockdown where so I was all by myself co-directing the short with my one of with um my podcast co-host uh, Marcy and she did her stuff on her end I did stuff on my end so I was shooting everything <laughs> by myself and I can tell you one thing uh, directing yourself is not. The easiest thing, because I probably did one section where I did like at least a hundred takes of one thing because I kept stuffing up everything.
0: You know, it's really easy to be critical of yourself, mm. uh, let alone when you're literally overseeing every element of a of a film. Then you're really freaking critical. And like, let's be clear: not only was I doing the tasks that we discussed, but like I also costumed every zombie. Like, mm-hmm. I costumed every zombie. um I artistic directed the whole thing. Like, I, you know, I. I was ensuring that every character looked a certain way and that things were framed a certain way. And I just think I took on so much because I was, I guess I was cocky. Like I thought I knew what I was doing. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I'll be the first to admit it. I had no idea. I know a lot better now. Like, I mean, (laughs) I'm working on my sophomore effort. I'm working on a slasher called Meat right now. And I gave myself a very small role in it, but like someone was like, oh, why don't you play the lead? I was like, absolutely not. Like never again. And it's really just because like, As a director, you have to be present, and I'm an actor's director. I think like one of the one of the reasons some of the performances in Rebirth are some of the standout aspects of the movie is because I really knew what I wanted in the sense of the intention from a lot of the characters and wanted them to bring through, and so I'm really proud of that. But I do think again, like I put so much on my plate. Shame on me! I should have never, um, in a million years, thought that I could pull off such a big endeavor and like run every department. So you know, now on my sophomore feature, I'm. I'm working with a significantly larger team and a larger budget and a better understanding of what it is I'm doing and how to schedule it. I mean, pre-production and planning is so pivotal for these things. And a lot of rebirth was, was kind of loose. <laughs> <laughs> we're, just kinda, we're going by the seat, like by the fly by the seat of our pants, you know? Um, But um, I'm still very proud of what we did, all things considered. Like we were, we were young and we were, excited and we had stars in our eyes and we really thought we were doing something kick-ass. And I think that even though it was a very small scale project, um, you can see, I think you can see the passion that went into rebirth and hmm. really do.
1: Well, I definitely have seen that in a lot of the indie remakes of night of the living dead that I've covered for this show. Like there's definitely not some kind of cynicism into making night of the living dead. Like you all have had passion for the material that you've made with your films. And I guess also with um, the zombies as well, because again, your zombies in this film are very unique in their own way, with, of course, some of their eyes do glow, which I thought was actually a really cool touch. And, also, yeah. there's a, and also, I have to bring this up because it is the elephant in the room, and there is a <laughs> lot of male nudity <laughs> from zombies in this film. And I swear at one point, I think I may have saw what one zombie had for lunch two weeks before.
0: <laughs> you, you absolutely did. And you know what? I just did another <laughs> podcast like three days ago. We talked about this butthole for like 20 minutes. So <laughs> I, I am aware that, that that takes people by surprise. But my goal and intention with the male nudity in this film mm. was, I mean, it was honestly to capitalize on a specific moment in the original film where you see a cadaver walking around that's a female that's fully full frontal nude. And it's brief as mm. a moment. But, you know, again, for the era, it was shocking. and And nowadays... You can throw a nude woman or honestly, even like a, a full frontal male nude for the most part. Like it's still like, oh whoa. But like you see it, like it happens a lot. So when we were filming that scene, which is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, butthole aside. Um <laughs> when we were filming <laughs> that scene and we had because it's the morgue attendant and it's all the corpses eating the morgue. So we had all these mm-hmm. different nude corpses and we're going around filming the different angles, getting all the coverage, and and the way the shadows like fall on the sequence, like I I was looking through like the monitor and we're watching it. And it wasn't until like we played it back, like I wasn't like get that butthole. Like it just it happened to like creep, <laughs> creep into my film. And so I talked to the actor who's a lovely, lovely talent. Um, and he was like, I told him, I was like, you know, man, we filmed the sequence. I'm hesitant. My team, all straight men, said in their terms, they said, Roger, you've got to go full butthole. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. And so I talked to the actor. He's like, do it. And I was like, Ugh. so I, I had to do it. Um, and I'm happy I did because it's a great talking point, but it is very much in lieu of, of what you saw from Romero, you know. Oh, yeah. Tipping the hat to that kind of shock factor that you got with the female nudity. The eyes, are, wasn't it was not originally designed to have the glowing eyes, but much in, in similar vein of the original Night Living Dead, because they had a ton of zombie footage that they lost. There's talks of this one big epic field sequence that just nothing, com- nothing in the movie compares, apparently, to this one sequence that Romero had that was his favorite thing he shot for the movie and they lost it, um, which is such a bummer. They cut it from the film and then they, they lost the footage. So we had a ton of zombie footage that did not get utilized, again, uh, due to technical issues. Um, and so we ended up using shots I think that we weren't anticipating. But my my I was very strict. I was like, I don't want a single blink from a zombie over the course of the movie. Like these are not humans. These are reanimated corpses. Like they just don't do the basic things that you know, humans would do, they don't have, you know, they're not eating anything other than human flesh. I also don't think they're talking. I don't think they're thinking. I don't think they're blinking. I don't think they're doing anything but just consuming meat. And so I wanted to cut out all of these moments where you had zombies like reacting or blinking. and, And so we're talking about it and I was like looking for sources of inspiration. And so I was watching, again, I was watching a lot of Argento for color palette inspiration. And I had been watching movies like demons and, you know, and, and this was actually mentioned, I think in your review, I, think I it, it was, yes. Up. Yeah. It t- totally was the inspiration because I love the shot of them coming up the staircase and everything with those white eyes. Um, also video games. Like if you look at like the old resident evil games or like any of like any zombie video game ever, zombies always have these like white, these bright white eyes, like that glow in the distance. Um, that was also something that I took a lot of inspiration from, like, like Bioshock, games like that, that had that kind of, like, classic, like, blank, white, glowing eye that just glares, I think, that's really creepy, and so I wanted to capitalize on that. But it was really because, like, there's one line of dialogue in the original film where they talk about the Venus probe, and they don't expand on it that much, and we had, like, mm. hints of that in our dialogue, but I was like, I really want to go off the idea, like, this is something that came into our atmosphere that is causing bodies to come back to life, you know, and we don't understand what's happening. So what else can we do that feels kind of like otherworldly hmm. that doesn't, doesn't feel Romero? Cause I didn't want everything to feel just like I'm taking Romero and just rehashing it. I wanted something that felt completely different. Uh, some people love it. Some people hate it, but I, I know for a fact it does not feel like the original 90 living dead. And that's something that I was aiming for.
1: Well, I definitely, you definitely achieved that with, your film and i guess um with the next section of the film i wanted to talk about because your take on the ending because let's let's just face it not the the ending to night of the living dead is one of the most iconic endings for a horror film ever made and probably one of the key reasons why the film has you know stand the test of time and i guess i wanted to know like your take on the ending and what you wanted to achieve with it
0: Yeah, yeah. The only thing I knew, like I wanted it to hit that same kind of shocking beat of the original film, and there's no way you can recreate that. So I was like, what, again, like, what would be a modern interpretation of a similar kind of concept? And like all signs pointed to Adam being so gay, and obviously you've got like the rednecks pulling up and blasting his head off. Originally, when I got lowered into the truck after all that, Ben's body was supposed to be in the truck. Like that was supposed to be that full circle moment. But Swan Harris had since moved to LA. And so we kind of had to reformat and restructure that a little bit. Um, But that was kind of gonna be that that last kind of like full closure moment with the character as the truck drove away and you saw the two of them. But I still feel like, you know, the ending captures that same kind of like, Like nobody fucking made it. Like, oh shit. Like they all died. Like that's the blow it to your gut that you get when Ben gets shot. I mean, aside from the the racial undertones that are implied is also the fact that God, this guy just like went through so much shit. Like he, like, he just saw all these people die horribly. He just shot all these people in the head at moments after seeing them alive. Like now they're coming back to life. He had to kill all these people in this basement. Like the trauma alone that this guy went through, like he will never be the same. Um, and then for him to go out so unceremoniously is just such a bummer. Like you feel so betrayed almost in a way, but like, Hmm. you also know, like it's, it's with purpose. Like it is, you know, it it happens for a reason and it's such a powerful reason. So I really knew that it had to end on a similar note. Um, it's funny because like the car, like the situation with the car, that shot of me backing away in the car, like actually hit a tombstone and very similar to Night <laughs> Living Dead. Cause you know, when they were filming the, she, uh, uh, when they were filming, it was, I think Russell Striner's mother's car and he yeah. got in a car accident. And so they had to like do that whole thing. Like that happened to us. We hit a tombstone. So um, <laughs> we had to kind of like adjust it. You that whole moment of me waking up in the car and vomiting out the window and everything. Um, which was, you know, implying that he drove to the point that he passed out. Like he just passed out by the wheel and crashed into a ditch. Um, but like for the most part, we I think we really hit the finale especially with, like, the gunshot moment. I think, like, you know Mm. it's coming, but I do think, like, you pulled that effect off pretty well. Um, And I really like the moment with, like, the caterpillar and everything. It's just, it's very unsettling. So I'm very proud of the ending. I I think everyone who views it is always going to compare it to the original film, which Mm. you should, it makes sense, uh, which it will never hold a candle to that. But I do think it feels relevant when you think of what Adam's character has been through. And again, comparing the stories of both Ben in the original film and Adam in this film, you know, A man of color in the 1960s, and a a queer individual in what is this rural American setting, trying to survive amidst all this turmoil. I think that there's definitely. It feels very timely.
1: Oh, definitely, definitely, and also, I mean, I will admit, I would have loved to have seen, like, I guess, like you said, the full, the full circle moment of Adam and Ben meeting again as dead bodies at the end. But I still think, at the end of the day, like, it is tragic what does happen to ben because he realizes he's been bitten he breaks down and that's the last time we see the character and it doesn't bother me at all that we don't know what happens to him because we already know his fate is sealed but it is still a tragic moment that is i found quite effective
0: we actually had a sound cue there that we removed, and I think we just felt like it was too mean, but it was supposed to go to black, like the power went out, and then you heard the door bust in and the zombies start entering, implying that he, like, not only was bit, but, like, he was, like, ravaged and just, Ooh. like, ripped apart, and I was like, fuck, like, this poor guy, like, at least he knows he's going out, but, like, at least he's, like, going out, I uh, like, alone in this room like not having to like you know have to defend himself against any more of these things he could just like kind of like roll into a ball and i don't know be consumed by this this zombie virus um but yeah like originally like the light was supposed to flicker it went to dark you heard him crying you heard the door break open you heard all these zombies just pour in and then you just heard him screaming and i was like oh i don't think ben like it's one thing that Ben gets shot in the head. It's another thing to make him just suffer. Like I didn't feel like it mm. was right for the character. Um, but yeah, that was something that we had in the cut at one point.
1: Well, we've kind of talked about this a little bit during the course of the interview about, I guess, the reaction that your film has had. And obviously some of it has been definitely come from a very homophobic place with the character of Adam. But I guess like one of the questions i've I've always been wondered about any filmmaker who tackles Night of the Living Dead, particularly in the indie film world, how has the reaction from audiences have like have been? Because I know yes, some of it has been homophobic, but I can imagine there also be an equal amount of people would be like, oh, how dare you touch this film?"
0: Yeah, I think if you go on, like, Letterbox, you see a lot more love and support for because I don't think Letterboxd is as bombarded by, like, mm. hate posts. It's like, look at, like, now you release, you know, a, a Little Mermaid with an aerial of color, and people blast IMDb to get it as low as possible because they're they're hateful towards it because people are sick, you know? Like, mm. shame on them. um So I think, you know, I think that the loudest voices that want to be heard the most are the ones that have negative opinions about just the queer element in general, which, again, like... If you're going to throw that out as a problem, you just don't know Romero. Like you, I don't mm. think you understand like what his goal was with the original film, and how can you sit there and have such an issue with a gay character in this film if you're going to look back on the original film and you've got a man of color being shot by a white posse in 1968, being released two months after Martin Luther King passed away. Like, I mean, come on. Like, you there is clearly a thought out motivation behind all that, and, and the thing I mm. really respect about Romero is he never made it a big thing. He always said it was simply the best actor for the job. And I genuinely believe that. But I do also think he knew exactly what he was doing, but he Mm -hmm. never used it to blow that trumpet and draw attention to his film, which I think really shows that he was genuinely for the right purposes. He was telling that story for the right purposes. And I think that same with Rebirth. I had something that I, as a queer individual and a queer horror fan, who oftentimes feels like within the community, there's a lot of like just like vile opinions about gay people within the queer horror community in general, when there's really such a big fan base, it does not make sense to me. Um, but I was like, I have something to say with this. Um, and, and I know there's gonna be people who are not gonna wanna hear it. Um, and I think that it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but also it just makes sense. There's also like the diehard fans of the original film who any retelling of it that's not sanctioned by Image Ten or at least individuals related to them is gonna have a problem with it. And I, I honestly, I get it. Um, completely, you know, Mm. I'm a huge fan of the movie and I don't want to in any way screw these people over. Like their situation blows, that's why I was like, yeah, I'll absolutely not include the title in my film if that's gonna be respectful of the material, you know? So I I get that. Um, But I I do think that uh, Rebirth serves a great purpose in the sense of, I think that there are so many queer horror fans who have become so accustomed to watching classic horror movies where they try to find characters to relate to who represent the strengths of the queer community, but it's often in the form of what is a final girl. Mm. You know, like, if you think of, like, like uh, at least for me as a, as a gay horror fan, I was always idolizing, like, the Lori Strode's and the Ripley's and, you know, these strong women that rose up in the face of evil because they kind of represented a journey that I, in a way, felt like I could relate to in some strange way. So in this, I was like, no, I just want to give it, to the viewers, the queer viewers, I wanna give them a character that feels like it just plucked right out of their community. Yes, he's very feminine. I'm feminine. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know people who are feminine. So if, if you're gonna have a problem with it, that means you just personally have issues, internalized issues with, with queer people in general. And if you're a queer person who feels that way, you should really like probably step back and analyze that because there's no shame in, in, a, in a feminine man, just like there's no shame in a butch woman. Like hmm. whatever, like she's probably gonna with the one grabbing the shotgun and saving everybody. But um, <laughs> it's so you know it was disheartening, but it was also eye opening. And the people who have been supportive of the film have been very supportive. You know, for every negative review you find of the movie filled with derogatory terms, you find another review that was like, oh my gosh, like I've never seen anybody try to take a classic movie and infuse it with such heavy queer themes. Um, and pull it off and so i do think that we pulled off the retelling in the sense of it tells the story clearly it knows what it wants to do and it knows why those characters exist within that world with purpose
1: definitely and i think you like i said achieved that quite well with your film and that's why i think i mean i think all the films that i've done so far for the show regardless of my personal feelings on them i definitely i think people should check them out and form their own opinions on it and especially rebirth because it definitely like all the things you've done with your film are definitely what make it stand out among all the other versions of night and living dead out there. Like again, you and the other filmmakers who I've talked to so far have a passion to the original film. And again, there's no cynicism within it either. So it has been quite a journey like watching all these films kind of seeing everyone's different takes on the material
0: yeah you know even before i ever even tried doing it for myself i was so intrigued by although already there were a multitude of retellings of the movie you know from night of the living bread to (laughs) (laughs) 1990 savini's retelling and now you've got so many more but um i've always been a fan of remakes because in my opinion it doesn't dampen the original material. If it's bad, it just makes the original one make that much better. And if it's good, it's still bringing attention to the source material, you know? So I'm not opposed to remakes. I just don't want to see a remake that like, I find so offensively bad that it gets me frustrated like black christmas and they did that that 2019 remake i hated that one so much it made me actually feel anger um i definitely didn't want to bring that out people but i i'm sure there are people who have felt that towards me um but
1: uh, don't yeah, worry yeah. i wasn't a big fan of that remake <laughs> either so i could definitely Ooh. understand
0: Oh, I, like, I love Imogen Poots, but like she just couldn't save it. Um, but no, yeah, I, I think that fans of Night are super defensive for good reason, because, mm. again, like the whole copyright situation was so unprecedented. And it's the first, I think, real example of a movie that like, you know, you saw people lose millions of dollars simply because of a of a stupid error that like mm. cost them like everything. And it's like, God, like what a what a blow. So I get why the fans, you know, Romero's fans and Night of the Living Dead fans in general um are so defensive of the product. Um I do hope that at least when people see that my film is, you know, not directly titled Night of the Living Dead, but also see that I'm not just trying to make a zombie movie. I'm trying to make a movie that's heavily like a Romero tribute film. Mm. Like the social commentary elements of my film are written in the vein of how he approached his material. And I really wanted to show that I had a good understanding of that. So I do hope that when, when it's, you know, fans of his work, watch it, they at least see that there was, there was some thought that went into it and genuine intention that went into this project.
1: Oh, definitely. 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 And uh, I guess before we wrap up our interview, I think it's only fair because, like you said earlier, you are working on your sophomore effort, Meat. Can you tell the audience about that and how things have been going with the making of that film so far?
0: Yeah, thank you for bringing it up. So I've always, I'd always said that I wasn't going to do another feature, direct another feature, helm another project until I finished my first one. And like I said, Rebirth overall, it took it, it took us six, seven years roughly to get it all said and done. And so, um, and released to the public, you know? And so from from that perspective, when I finally got it done, I had a few scripts that I was waiting on. I was like, I can finally pursue this. So I had this script, this slasher called Meet. Uh, it's an LGBTQ theme slasher. It's a, it's, a, it's a gay slasher. Um, and I was like, you know, kind of now seeing what's coming from Rebirth and seeing some of like the vitriol I have to experience Uh, reading some of these reviews I was like I'm just gonna get gayer like I'm just gonna (laughs) I'm gonna just go that much harder so meat I mean you think rebirth is gay rebirth had a gay storyline meat is just it's unabashedly gay but the goal with meat is to make a film that focuses completely around queer characters that a straight fan of the genre can still sit down and say wow that's so a good fucking horror movie like mm-hmm. that is my goal as well like I am a huge horror movie aficionado I love it more than anything I love the genre more than anything in this world and I just really want to create cinema that can get a response and a reaction out of, of, of fellow fans and so um I'm very proud of what we've done so far. We're 80% of the way through filming, through production. Um, we are doing a final phase of Indiegogo. So if anyone does wanna see a, a big gay slasher, uh, consider checking out our Indiegogo because we're um, we're two weeks in, we're standing at 56% of our goal. Uh, so we're kind of ahead schedule and and I like that because my goal is to to beat our goal. So that would be ideal. Um, but yeah, that's where we stand with that right now. We just released a teaser trailer for it and there's a lot more coming soon. So I'm really excited for that as well.
1: Well, I am as well. I, I particularly, I want to know the practicalities of the killer's mask because as cool as it is, I'm thinking, how, that, how are they going to see through that because there's spikes <laughs> all over it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, it definitely is fashion above, like, practicality. Like, <laughs> like, let's, you know. But I was like, I need something that, like, looks cool on camera. And the poor guy that plays, like, our killer, like, our, our, you know, our body double for the actual slasher. I mean, we have to be like, all right, you take five steps, and then you turn, and you make a sprint, and hope it goes okay. <laughs> because he can't see anything. And he has, he has a, uh, like, a swim cap piece underneath all of that as well. So, like, he really can't see anything. We have to be very strategic about our scenes. Uh, but it looks good, so I'm not going to complain about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to when that is coming up. But uh, I, I guess that could be a wrap on our uh, conversation on your film, Rebirth. And thank you, Roger, for coming on the show and talking about your film with me.
0: Oh, my gosh. Thank you for even taking the time to cover it. Like I said, I I would be listening to your show even if, if I if I didn't have this movie out in the universe. I would still just be seeking this kind of material because I love hearing different interpretations of night of the living dead. I love that you covered John Russo's return of the living dead, the novel, um, which I own that the exact, that exact copy with like the girl, like getting her shoulder grabbed, like looking back over her shoulder. Like I owned that at like 10. (laughs) Like I was reading that book, like about like that, like rural family, like defending their farmhouse and everything. Like um, take me back. I'm really excited to listen to that episode because I've read that book. Like, probably like 20 times like front to back. So I think that'll be really nostalgic for me, but I love what you're doing. I really love that you're tackling all of these different mediums of, of, of interpretations of this story. And I'm genuinely someone who's like, bring on another one. Like, I just want to see how people are going to tell it. It never will steal the shine from Romero. It's just going to remind people that that classic film exists and that it's out there and it's going to be better than anything else. Anyone else can ever try to do with it. It's still going to be the landmark achievement. We're all just, reaching for that you know
1: well i appreciate that and also it has been quite a journey too because like when i started this podcast like i knew of a few films that were remakes of night and living dead but then like going to doing a deep dive of everything and discovering like night and living dead has been in part of so much different medias that it's like i don't think this podcast is ever gonna end anytime soon (laughs)
0: absolutely not i like but when i saw that you're t- getting ready to like tap into the musical and everything i was like oh my god he is going for it so there's even like um there's like into the dead i don't know like that video like the video game that you play the little okay uh, handheld where they did like they did a sequel into the dead too that is ben's story before the oh. dead like they actually and that was some of the inspiration for the zombie eyes as well because that came out around I think 2018, when we were wrapping up our digital effects. So um, yeah, I I think you've got like so much awesome material out there and more than I think a lot of us even know because there's so many people who have made a YouTube movie or gone and and filmed a segment that's like, you know, recreating something to do with Night of Living Dead. And I think it's really cool to see that as a fan of the movie. um, I, I like seeing other people's interpretation. So all you're doing is giving me fresh material. I very much appreciate it. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. And also, I mean, at some point I'll be tacking all the different sides of the original Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead as well, because they've got their own kind of like universes as well. So I'll be uh, tackling them for the show at some point. But even then, like I still find stuff that I'm really surprised by, like in a future episode of the show, like I think it was like late last year, I discovered that Clyde Barker wrote a Night of the Living Dead comic book with the co-writer of 30 Days of Night that came out in the early 90s. And I own it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I was shocked. And I'm like, how did I not know that this comic book exists? <laughs> it's so
0: graphic. <laughs> it's so violent. There's, like, all this, like, pre-story and everything. But, fuck, yeah, it's so cool. Oh, my God. I love finding, like, there's, like, Night of the Living Dead, Barbara's Zombie Chronicles, which is, like, I think what it was, it was like, 2000, maybe, like, 12, to 16, somewhere in that realm. But it's like, what if Barbara survived and she's this big busty blonde? And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I just, I find all these things all the time. There's so much to tap into. So yeah, I'm super excited. Also knowing that you're gonna be doing doing Dawn of the Dead, I hope you do the master cut that's floating around out there. It's really hard to get your hands on, but somebody took like every cut of Dawn of the Dead ever and took all of the scenes that were like added into different versions and they put it into one master cut that's like three hours long. <laughs> I, like, oh, wow. I want to find it so bad. Yeah, it's out there. I really want to so, see it. See,
1: see Roger, I should get you as my research for, person for this podcast because I'm learning new things that I've not have heard of and I'm already like going to have to put all this stuff down. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got big expectations. Yeah, for sure. But if there's one thing I know, it's Romero. So I, I got you.
1: definitely definitely but yeah i guess that could be a wrap on our uh, conversation like i said thank you so much again for coming on the show and talking about rebirth but uh if people want to check out more of your work where can people find you on the internet this week but also listen to your podcast dark night of the podcast
0: thank you for bringing that up too thank you so much so um on most also major social media platforms you can find me uh at the handle the scream queer uh you know the screen queen but instead of queen it's queer so the screen queer uh go find me add me please i'd love to chat with you if you hate my movie uh, at least you tell me so i can defend myself now uh and if you like it tell me even more um and then uh yeah dark night the podcast um it's we try to make it a weekly episode but right now as i'm filming a movie it's it's a little restrictive um, but for the most part we're normally a, a weekly um, a uh, podcast where we do like a two hour long deep dive, analysis on like a random obscure title every every week we do something a little different we can do some things that feel mainstream we just did Scream 4 and then next week we're doing Bloodsuckers from Outer Space so we like to keep it kind of like keep people on their toes but we do a really deep dive and analysis on each of these titles we have done Night Living Dead um so that's definitely worth listening to um but it's a good time we're on like episode like 120 so we've been doing it for a while uh, and always just building that up. We have a Patreon as well for that. So you can find us on all the major streaming platforms. Leave us a five-star review, please. And we'll thank you forever. Uh, but yeah, those are the main go-tos for, I would say, my major platforms.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you once again, Roger, and I'll see you next time.
0: Yeah, we'll have to have you on Dark Knight of the Podcast soon. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much. <laughs> for
0: sure. Right, have a good right. one.
1: Well, there you go, everyone. That was my interview with Roger Connors, the writer, director, and star of the 2020 film Rebirth. I hope you all enjoyed our interview. And once again, thank you so much, Roger, for taking the time to sit down and talk about your film with me. It really meant a lot, and I'm glad you enjoyed yourself as well. And now you're probably already thinking, because the last couple of bonus episodes, I have said that I have recorded about four for this month in honor of the in honor of Night of the Living Dead's 55th anniversary however though it's not quite the end just yet because there I have a bit of an announcement to make I have recorded a fifth bonus episode that's going to be dropping very soon I won't give it away who it is just yet but all I can say is definitely tune in for this one because in my opinion this was the This is the perfect episode to end the entire month-long celebration for the podcast. And this fifth and final bonus episode for this month will drop on October 31st. So, yep, that's right. It's going to drop on Halloween. And in my opinion, it's definitely the perfect day to end the entire 55th anniversary celebration for Night of the Living Dead. Believe me, you definitely want to stay tuned for that episode, everyone. But to find out who my guests for that one will be, definitely keep a lookout on all the Bean vs. the Living Dead social media accounts because I will announce it within a few days' time. So stay tuned to find out who my fifth and final guest will be for that bonus episode. So, yep, that is the end for this bonus episode of Bean vs. the Living Dead. And if you want to find me out there on the internet, you can find me at my personal social media accounts at Bean at both Twitter and Blue Sky. And you can also find all my work over at supermarcy.com and as well as all the podcasts that I co-host with Supermarcy over at the Super Network on all podcast streaming services everywhere. But in terms of social media accounts for this show, you can find all things bead versus the living dead, and as well as our spin-off show, Bead and Steve versus Cad Crystal Lake, at BedeVSTLD on Twitter, and as well as Bead. V-S-T-L-D on Blue Sky. And you can also find us on Facebook under the name Bead vs. The Living Dead. And also you can listen to this podcast on all podcast streaming services everywhere. Definitely leave a rating and review of the show if you have been enjoying it so far. And if you have left a review, I will make sure to read it on the show. So, yep, that is the end for this, epi- this bonus episode, everyone. Once again, I hope you had a great time listening to it. And stay tuned for, on October 29th for episode 24 of the podcast, which I myself and my guests will be discussing Return of Living Dead free, and then come back two days later for the fifth and final filmmaker-centric bonus episode as well. So stay tuned for all those, and I'll see you next time, everyone. See you everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bead vs. the Living Dead. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player of choice. Keep up on all updates of the show on the official Twitter account at beadvstld. The music for this show was brought to you by Deno. See you next time, everyone. Goodbye.